Let's get into it, my friends. Your boy's back. I got the fresh cut. Just got out of the shower looking like a milli straight cash homie. All seriousness, long overdue. I knew I needed it. I've known I needed it for a while now. Um, over the last two years. First time I've ever grown out my hair. First time ever trying the lettuce thing. Didn't play hockey. Played baseball, which I guess is a bit of a long hair sport. Never grew it out. COVID hits. No barbers. Fuck it. Let's try this thing out one time. At least once in my life, I got to see what I look like with long hair. Didn't mind it. I felt like the longer it grew, I cut it. I would cut it at like the 4th of July and then Christmas. So I get two cuts a year. But I felt like the longer it grew, dating back from the start of COVID to this last cut last weekend, it kept getting worse. I don't know how that works. I feel like what the, the shitty part of growing your hair out is the first time you grow it out. Then after that, it's like your hair kind of knows what it's supposed to do. It's trained. As I was said, I wore all kinds of hats, brush, comb, you name it. I'm telling it to go backwards. I want the lettuce. I want the stuff coming out of the ears and in the back to like flow up and look cool. Like a hockey players got worse as the time went on. Don't know how that happens. I don't know. I don't know if I didn't use enough products. Um, definitely wasn't blow drying. Same deal. Once your hair gets that long, that shit takes for blow drying. In my mind, I'm like, that should be a five minute thing. It's a good 10, 15. Once your hair gets to that point, hated it. Uh, don't think in the last two years I've left my hat. I don't think I've left my house without a hat more than probably 10 times in the last two years, literally wearing a hat 24 seven. The only time I wouldn't wear a hat is at work and my hair looked not good. One, uh, two, even if it did look okay, like if you're a long hair person, you go, hey, no, I kind of like it always falling in my face. I'm looking at my computer always in my face. If I tilt my head down even slightly in my face, if I make a quick motion in my face, couldn't do anything. I'm driving home windows down in my face. Everything I fucking did hair in my face. First things first, before I go any further, I just need to tip my cap to all the ladies out there and all the guys with long hair. I don't know. Ladies speaking, you know, the majority of women I would say have long hair or at least what I was working with, if not longer, don't know how you do it. Don't know how you put up with it. I know you do the ponytails and other things to keep it back, but dude, I don't know how you do it. It it was taking a toll on me mentally. I feel like I'm pretty good mentally, unless I'm brutally hung over or like something terrible happens to me, knock on wood. I've been pretty fortunate in my life. Haven't had a ton of like, you're about to receive horrible news moments. Dude, it was weighing on me. I, I can't even explain how fucking frustrated I would be everything I did, hair in my face. I, I love hats. I got like 30 of them. More than half, I barely even wear. I'm addicted to hats. Hats and sneakers are the two things in my life that I just buy, even though I absolutely don't need. Couldn't care less about furniture. Going on vacations is cool. Um, you know, we're not we're not counting getting food and going out. Obviously, I'm gonna spend money on that, but like materialism things. I own four. I own a TV. I have a couch. Uh, I have a coffee table. Uh, I got a TV stand and a lamp. And then I guess my bed, if you count the bed. So what is that? Six things. I got the, I guess I have this table as well. Seven things and a chair, eight things. I have less than 10 things. Never think to buy any more clothes. Obviously I make the shirts, but all that's like a business. If I'm not going to wear them, who the fuck will? And it's pro, it's pro bono. Like I sell enough of these designs where, Hey, Nick, you, I got myself a free shirt that doesn't count pants. 
maybe my favorite article of clothing. I just don't own enough of. I've got like five pairs that I like wearing consistently. Don't know what that's about. For some reason, hats and shoes, they're my things. And I was getting to the point where I was like, dude, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore with the hats. It was driving me fucking bonkers. Always with the hat. Like, you know how you get when you wear a hat for so long? Let's say you wake up one day, throw the hat on, and you wear it all day. You know, like the end of the day, you take it off and you got a massage. Like, you feel the pressure in your forehead. You get that red mark in the mirror. And it's just like, oh, it's almost like the hat gives you a headache. Even if it fits well, it's your favorite. It's the most comfortable. You get to the point where you're like, oh, dude, I got to cut it out with this. But I couldn't. I couldn't because my hair was a nuisance, dude. It made me disabled. I was legally blind if I didn't wear a hat and I tried to drive my car. It sure it wasn't safe all the time. Wind blowing, hair going everywhere. Kid runs in the street for looking for his ball. I might not see him. It was becoming a problem. So here we are, short hair, um, high school, college, Nick Bradley. He's back in the saddle. Don't know if I'll ever go back to the long hair. Certainly not within the next year, at least. I, you know, I never want to say never, but no plans. No plans to go back to long hair. Not anytime soon. Um, it feels good. I love this feeling when you put your hand, you get a fresh haircut and you rub your hand up the back of your head. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Short hair guys unbelievable feeling. I miss not having shit touch my ears. I miss that. Don't take that for granted today. If you've got short hair, I miss like being able to see my forehead. I feel like it made my skin worse too. Just always hair in my face. You get a little sweaty. You go for a run, you go work out, always sweaty hair in your face. I feel like my skin's already gotten better. Lot of pros, lot of pros. I go outside. I like feel the sun more. I feel it on my face and my head more. Now that could lead to lead to a burned scalp. I don't know what you do to protect against that other than wear hats, which is what I'm trying to avoid, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. It's good to be back in the short hair camp. Nothing against long hair. It was a fun ride. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I experimented with it. Um, I will say like part of the reason I kept the long hair going for so long, two reasons really. One, I'm fucking lazy. I'll admit it. I'm man of integrity. Like I said, I'm not too proud to, to hide that. I was a little bit lazy. Sure. And the other thing, going back to the hats, it does hats just objectively look better when you got long hair. When you have the hair specifically, you have the hair coming out of the sides right above your ears. When you got that little fray, hats just look better than if I was to put on a hat right now. Plain and simple. So those powered me for like two years. But um, yeah, I've had enough. I've had enough. I miss like not wearing a hat for everything. I'm pretty excited to go into work tomorrow. I haven't been, I haven't been in the office the last two days. I'm pretty excited to go into work tomorrow. Have people say, Hey, you got a haircut. That's always a good feeling. I've experienced that three times, four times in the last two years. You go see your friends. Hey man, looks good. I miss that. The girls you hang out with. Hey Nick, your hair looks great. I like it short. Who doesn't love that? So it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the short hair squad. I know my mother's proud and what really set me over the edge. I made that Alex to break it video. Friendly fucking fire here. This is, this is a tough one to swallow. I made that to break it video the day we got him. Got home. I was driving home from San Diego, about an hour and a half car ride, walk in the door, immediately hit record, go get the Red Wings Jersey. Let's talk about it. My dad, who I don't even, I didn't know even really, I knew he had an Instagram page. Didn't know he used it. Didn't know he tracked me. My dad comments. That's great news. Maybe to celebrate, you could get a haircut. 
my dad in the comments of a video about Alex DeBrinkett being traded to the Detroit Red Wings goes maybe to celebrate you could get a haircut. My dad used to have long hair. My dad was in a band. My dad was the fucking drummer for a band named The Dudes. And that guy's chirping my long hair. I feel like that's that's one of those moments in your life where you're like, okay, it's time. Like when that three, it's drinking and partying, that three-day hangover sets in, it's time. You tear your ACL playing rec basketball, it's time. You play a Division one athlete in high school football, it's time. Like everybody has those moments at different things where you go, yeah, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. My dad coming from my throat on a, on a happy video about the Red Wings, a team he loves. I love the Red Wings because I grew up watching them every night with my dad. On a video about them getting significantly better, he goes, maybe you should cut your fucking hair. Wow. Wow. Right there. Right through the heart. Yeah. Maybe I should cut my hair. So that's what I did. And it feels good. I'm glad I did it. Um, appreciate everybody. A couple comments on my recent video saying love the haircut. Appreciate you. You're an angel sent down from above. Not a ton of sports stuff. It's been a while since I've logged in to record one of these where I haven't, it hasn't been like catch up on uh, Detroit sports news, whether it's the Lions, new helmets, whether it's Osar Thompson being a menace in summer league, whether it's the Brinkett coming to the Red Wings. I guess the Tigers, right? They're playing right now. They're up to nothing on the Royals. As I speak, Torkelson hit a fucking nuke. Uh, they've won three out of the four since the All-Star break. I think still five back in Minnesota, but they're hanging around. Oh, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully making it interesting. We haven't talked about them in the in a while, so maybe, you know, we'll spend a few minutes on the Tigers. But all things considered, I'm kind of on top of it. Like, I don't think since I recorded last week, I don't think much has happened. Obviously, the big news in the, in the city are the Brinkett and Osar Thompson being great, and we covered each of them for like 20 minutes last week. So if you want to hear my takes about those guys, about, you know, what that means for the franchises and all that, go ahead and uh, click back to last week's episode. I'm thinking today, We'll keep it shorter. I want to talk a little bit Djokovic Alcaraz. I'm a Djokovic guy, 50% Serbian. My mom moved here from Serbia when she was, I think, 27 or so. All my cousins, <clears throat> aunts, uncles, Serbian, we're rooting for Nikola Jokic. Obviously, we're rooting for Novak Djokovic. Fucking heartbreaker against Alcaraz at Wimbledon on Sunday. Guy's unbelievable, though. Carlitos, he's unreal. He was funny on the mic. It sucks. It sucks that I like him so much. Nadal and Federer, those guys are sick too. Obviously, you got to give them their flowers. But a little bit more, like when they're the GOAT, when Federer, because all along it was Djokovic chasing those two. When those guys are the GOATs, when those guys are the white whale Novak's chasing, it's much easier to go, eh, I don't, I'm okay on Federer. Eh, yeah, Nadal's fine. Like it's much easier to go, eh, they're okay. When it's a 20-year-old prodigy and he plays the style that he plays, that, dude, Carlos Alcaraz, unless he's playing Novak Djokovic, may never lose a match for the rest of his life. Unless he's injured, like he may never, ever again lose a match. Unless he hits a ball at the umpire and gets DQ'd. I don't know how. I don't know who not named Novak can give that guy a competition. He is unreal, dude. The drop shot, he hits drop shots like from the baseline. He's in a dead sprint, side to side gets it on his back end, and hits a passing shot laser beam. I don't know how he puts the power on some of these shots. Carlos, five feet behind the baseline. Novak plays a drop. This guy's shot out of a cannon. Gets there, somehow wins the point. Like, he had multiple points Sunday. Now, granted, it was 
I think the match started at like 6 a.m. Sunday uh, Pacific time, hit the town Saturday night. So I didn't see every set. I turned it on in the fourth. Some of the points, I didn't see the second set tiebreaker, which looking at the box score, that seems to be, you know, Djokovic wins that. I don't know if Carlitos is winning his first Wimbledon, but Carlitos did win it and he won Wimbledon. Some of the points Carlos won against Novak were points that like, that's why Novak's great. Just a wall, never making errors, getting to every ball, even though it's maybe not the most lethal shot, keeping it in play until the other guy fucks up. It's like Carlos Alcaraz took what Novak Djokovic does best and did it to him. Novak's serve wasn't on as it usually is. Um, Novak, like I said, was doing kind of the things that he forces other guys to do, hitting shots out, hitting them into the net, getting into his own head. Maybe because Carlos is so good defensively, Carlos hits so many different shots, maybe pressing a little bit much on some of his shots, trying to make too much happen and then leading to those unforced errors. But man, Carlos, that dude's that dude is fucking sweet. This is only the second time I've ever watched him. I watched the match that they played at the French a month ago or so when uh, I, I don't know if Carlos withdrew or just got beaten in straight set. I think he just ended up getting beaten. But through the second set, he like pulled the muscle or was cramping or something. And then Djokovic steamrolled. It wasn't even – it wasn't a real match. But that was the first time I played him. And when Carlos was full strength, pre-cramps, I think Novak took the first. Well, he did. He won in straight. But I remember going, oh, this guy's not that great. I thought Clay was a surface. Oh, he's he, – you know, he's good. But he's – no problem for Novak. Watching him at Wimbledon Sunday, I get it. I understand. Like I said, I don't know when Novak Djokovic retires, even before he retires. I don't know who not named Novak will ever beat this guy. Like, I literally do not know how he will ever lose a match. I watched Alcaraz in the semis. I think it was Medvedev. Guy didn't look like he belonged on the same court as him. You watch Djokovic against any other competitor, Rune, uh, uh, Hurikaz, or whatever that other guy's name, uh, Sinner. You watch Djokovic against all the other top 10, top 15 players. They don't look like they belong on the same court as him. This Alcaraz is the only guy that gives him trouble on the tour right now. And Carlos beat him. Carlos, I, I this guy, he, I, I know Djokovic is at 24. And it's like when he did that, holy shit, I can't believe it. He's still going full steam. I mean, he's still won two of the three Grand Slams this year. U.S. Open will come up in another month and a half or so. He could win three out of the four. There'll be next season and hopefully more after that. But right now, it's like Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, all these guys up in the 20s going, that's an incredible number. I don't know who's going to beat that. Federer's done. Nadal's out with an injury right now. I think he plans to come back next season. I don't know. And if he does, who knows what it'll look like. Novak, he's still going strong. He obviously gave Carlos one hell of a match. I think he'll be right there. I wouldn't be surprised if the final is the exact same. At the U.S., I think Novak will be there at the Australian, at the French, at Wimbledon, and at the U.S. next season, and probably the season after that. Doesn't look like there's any signs of him stopping, barring an injury. But Carlos Alcaraz, this guy, once Novak hangs it up, because Novak's 36, I think Carlos is 20. Once Novak hangs it up, I don't know. Like, there is no Federer in it all for Carlos that I know of. I know it's like Tsitsipas and Rune and Casper Ruud. Like, this is the next generation. Those guys play Djokovic. Those guys play Carlos. And it's who who let these guys on the court? How'd they sneak in here? Did they steal the fucking key from the groundskeeper? How were they? I, I think it was Casper Ruud. 
that Djokovic beat in the French final. That match was a joke. The match was an absolute joke. Casper <clears throat> Ruud is supposed to be like one of the running men for the next generation along with Alcaraz. Uh, I don't see it. I don't know. Unless Alcaraz gets hurt or is missing for whatever reason, I don't know how anybody stops this guy. I really don't. Unless these dudes are late bloomers and at the age of 26 turn in to the Djokovic's and the Dahls and Federer's of the world. I don't know how Carlos Alcaraz doesn't dominate tennis for at least, at least the next 10 straight years. I don't know. It genuinely feels to me or it felt to me watching that match Sunday that unless Novak Djokovic is the guy across the net from him, like Alcaraz will never even drop a set, let alone a match. Um, unbelievable though. That kid is, it was cool to watch. I will say, because being the Djokovic guy that I am, everyone, Alcaraz, Alcaraz, Alcaraz. And I'm sitting there going, whatever, dude, this guy smoked him at the French. Oh, he had a cramp. He fucking smoked him at the French. This guy's won two of the two slams this year. He's 36. He's still doing it. Nobody, nobody on the tour stands a chance. Nobody in any of these matches poses a threat to Novak. All right, Carlos, Carlos, Carlos. I'll believe it when I see it. I fucking saw it. I fucking saw it. I've never seen a tennis player move like that. And the best part of Wimbledon is now my social media, my Instagram, my Twitter. Half of it's just tennis. I'm seeing Carlos Alcaraz highlights pop up from last year, from two years ago, playing Nadal at Indian Wells, playing Djokovic at different tournaments. And I'm going, oh, this guy is fucking insane. This guy, some of the clips, I'm like, what? It doesn't even make sense. Forget winning the point. It doesn't make sense how he's hitting some of these shots. Oh, which makes it, honestly, which makes it even more confusing. Like, how has he lost matches? Why wasn't he in the Australian final? Why wasn't? I guess he cramped. But, like, how the fuck did he cramp? How the hell did he cramp? This guy's a superhuman. How has he only won the U.S. Open last year? Like, where? what about the other three slams? How has he ever lost to anybody? I don't think Djokovic has played him that many times that he could have lost that many matches. It's fucking insane what that guy does on a tennis court. And credit to him. Um, maybe the best part is, you know, like being a Djokovic guy, it's tough to swallow when your favorite player loses, especially on that stage, especially going for something as historic as a calendar slam and winning Wimbledon for what I think it would have been his eighth or ninth time, something like that. It's tough to swallow seeing your guy lose. But Cal Alcaraz got on the mic, and I was like, don't think I've ever really heard him speak. Got on the mic. He was pretty funny. He was a good guy. I'm like, damn, I, I like this guy. I fucking like this guy. Djokovic is going to retire one day, and I'll probably be sitting here going, all right, I like Alcaraz. This is my guy now. Like, he's so electric to watch, and then he's got the personality to boot. Um, you can't ask for more in a tennis player. That's one of the reasons I love Novak, other than being Serbian. Like, he's sick on the court. And then you hear him talk after the matches. He's making jokes. The crowd's laughing. He's lighthearted. He gives his respect, but he's being funny. Like, he's got a personality. I feel like people, obviously in the media, but just everyday fans, say it and for sure think it. We love when athletes have personalities, for better or for worse. Like, it's fun to see these guys who are so fucking good at something. It's almost robotic and machine-like. It's fun <laughs> to see them express themselves. It's fun to see them be lighthearted. It's fun to see him make jokes. It's fun to see him smile and fuck around. And even in defeat, Novak, he's still laughing and smiling. So, unreal match. 
tennis fucking rules. All I want to do is play. And uh, Carlos Alcaraz, the future seems like an understatement. Like the the next, I don't even know. Like tennis. He just is tennis, it feels like. Or at least that's what it's going to be whenever Novak hangs it up. So, hell of a weekend. Tough match for my boy. He'll get him back at the U.S. Open. There will always be more. But, man, Carlos Alcaraz, dude special. Um, all right. Let me take a quick break. We'll talk a little bit of Tigers. And then, I don't know, part of me, I kind of want to just do a little MSU, the defense, the offense. Just a couple minutes. Not a deep dive. We'll save that for August. Couple minutes. That's all. Quick break. The Tigs, man. I know. I know. I know. I know what you're thinking. Um, I, I, I've screamed it from the rooftop from the end of the two years ago, all through last season, all this off season, through this season. I fucking know that they're the Detroit Tigers. I see the lineups, dude. I watched the game last night. They won 3-2. Veerling, massive hit in the top of the eighth. Push him over. Alex Lang shuts the door in the ninth. Barely scraping by. I know the Royals are a joke. I know, but I don't know. I'm going to hear them out. Because why not? Because why not? They've already been dead. What's a, what? A couple more weeks and then declare them dead then. Like, let's hear them out a little bit. Something to follow along. I'm not saying you should be buckled in watching the Tigers every night. God forbid you're out grocery shopping while the Tigers are on. God forbid you're watching your kid's t-ball game while the Tigers are on. God forbid you're out on the date when the Tigers are on. I don't want to. It's not that serious. But, hey, check the box score. Hey, you're not doing shit. It's Thursday night. You're having a cold one. Throw on the Tigers. Hey, it's Sunday afternoon. You're a little hungover, hanging out on the couch. Why not toss the Tigers on for the time being? They've won three out of the four since the All-Star break. They're up right now. Knock on wood. We'll see how that ends. But why not, dude? We've been so long. I had some people on Twitter the other day. And look, I'm not dead serious. I'm not sitting here going, throw some fucking money on the Tigers. I'm not sitting here saying, mortgage your house on the Tigers winning the Central. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not even saying it's a 50-50 chance. It's a possibility. Crazier things have happened. Leicester City won the Premier League. The Central blows. They've gotten healthier. They're going to keep getting healthier, I think. Riley Green's back. He's good. Eduardo Rodriguez is back. He was awesome before he got hurt. Hasn't been as awesome. Maybe he finds it again. I don't know, dude. The Tigers, look. The Tigers have been a dead franchise for eight years now, seven years in a row, with not even like a glimpse of life. There was one, I think maybe two years ago, when that year scope was still good. After the All-Star break, they had a little bit of a run. And then the COVID season where it's like, dude, 60 games, maybe you can't be that shitty and that small of a sample size. Like there's been a couple moments of like, oh, well, maybe fucking they've been a dead franchise for eight years, bro. They're in the worst division in baseball by a mile. They're only five games back. They're getting healthier. These young guys, you'd like to think, you'd like to think as each game goes by, figure it out a little bit more. I don't know if that's true. The numbers wouldn't really suggest it, but, you know, got to believe in something in this sick and twisted world we live in. 
I'm not saying they're going to win the Central, but who knows? Like, it's a fun story. Three out of the four since the break. They win the series against the Royals. Like, if they, day by day, if they keep fucking figuring out ways to win series, I, I don't know. Like, until they hit that point where they lose eight straight, until that comes, until they lose that point where they go a month without winning a series, until that comes, why not? I'll follow along. I'll check the box scores. I'll scroll on Twitter, read what people are saying. I'll watch Spencer Torkelson hit an absolute nuke in an eight-second Twitter video. Why not? I'll spend a couple minutes talking about him. Why not? They've been dead for eight years. Why not for the one week, two week? God forbid they do it for three. The three weeks they've been alive for the first time since I was in high school. Why not go, you know what? We'll see. Give them the benefit of the doubt. They don't deserve it. Fuck no. Fuck no, they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. They don't even deserve the doubt. But I don't know. It's summer. It's July. There's not shit else happening. Football's still far off. I'm not going to sit down and watch other teams play baseball. I live in SoCal. The Padres stink. The Angels stink. I go to some games. I watch Shohei. That's cool. But I don't care about the Angels. I'd like to see them be successful just because I want them to keep Shohei. Just so when I go to a game on a Friday, I can see the greatest player to ever live throw and hit three home runs. That's pretty much all my baseball rooting interest. Why not give the touch? Just, all right, you know, we'll see. If for nothing else, hey, we could build a little momentum for next year. We got a few guys, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, uh, Matt Veerling, oh, Kerry Carpenter. We got a couple bats, a couple guys who can smack it around on occasion. Do they do it consistently? Nope. Every once in a while, though, they'll hit one out. Right? Every once in a while, they'll score three in the top of the eighth and win the game. Right? Riley Green's cool. He does good stuff. He's good at the outfield, and he's good at hitting. Like, that's fun. (sighs) Why not? I understand the people who are like, don't get your hopes up. I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm getting my, I guess I'll follow along up. That's what I'm getting up. I'm getting my, I'll wake up the next day and go, wonder if the Tigers won. I'm getting that up. I'm getting my, yeah, I'll read who's pitching well. This Reese Olsen, he's got some good stuff. All right, you know, I'll bite. All right, cool. That's great. We got this Reese Olsen. He seems to be maybe decent. All right, cool. Matt Manning, all right, he's okay. Sure. Oh, okay. It's July. It's fucking July. What else am I going to do? Then here's the beauty of it. Let him entertain you. Let him be a storyline. Let him be something a little interesting through the rest of the month and then maybe through August. And then next thing you know, when that eight game losing streak does hit, when they go all of August without winning a series, then it'll be football season. Then you got Michigan, you got Michigan State, we got the Lions on their Super Bowl march. But until then, why not give the Tigers just one of your eyes, just a little bit of, oh, they won. Text your buddy, Tigers won tonight. Text your dad, Torkelson hit a home run. Just a little something to be kind of connected. Just Yeah, out of curiosity, that's where I'm at with the Tigers. Because why not? It's been eight fucking years. They're still in it, by the grace of God. They're still in it. Yeah, I'll follow along a little bit. Yeah, I'll see what they do. It's 2-2 now. The Royals tied it up. It's a long game. Bottom of the fourth, plenty of time to go. Maybe they'll win. The Royals are 27-68, and for the love of fucking God. They can win games like this, win a series like this. All right, I'll 
Hear them out. Minnesota's not doing anything to, to kill our hopes. Minnesota's not playing any baseball where it's like, oh, shit, we'll never catch them. Cleveland, they're no good. The White Sox are the worst. Like, this is as excited as I can get for this version of the Detroit Tigers. This is as exciting and as all-in as I can get for the Detroit Tigers since those 2013, 2014, 2015 teams. This is it. This is the apex. Why not? Okay. Last thing. Like I said, not a whole lot going on. Also are being sick. The Brinkets are Red Wing. We already talked about it. Not a whole lot going on. We truly are in the dog days, which is maybe a little bit why it's like, hey, let's talk about the Tigers, even though, I mean, like, what am I going to do? There's nothing to talk about. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like Chris Castellani, the local stations where you got to talk about the Tigers. I don't know what they talk. They don't hit. That's it. End of story. Bullpen's pretty good. The starting pitching's fine. Nobody hits. Riley Green can hit. Nobody, Kerry Carpenter, he's fine. Nobody else hits. That's why they lose. When they lose, that's why they lose, because they score zero runs. They score one run. They score two runs. That's why they lose baseball games. That's it. There's nothing, there's no, like, analytics you need to dive into. There's nothing else like, well, it could be this sneaky stat. No, no. No. Nobody hits. That's all the analysis you need to do with the Detroit Tigers. When you're wondering why are the Red, or why are the Tigers – if the Central's so bad, why are the Tigers? And we got these young guys still five games back. Nobody hits. That's it. That's been the story last year. That's the story all of this year. If they lose the game tonight, it'll be the story. That's Nobody hits. There it is. That's it. So there's nothing else. Like, what am I going to dive into? Like, we got to find better play from this guy? No shit. We got to find better play from, like, everyone except for three guys. Two, really. That's that's diving into the Tigers. Okay. Um, I just want to spend like five minutes maybe tickling your balls about Michigan State. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be good. Probably wouldn't bet on it. And by good, I mean eight and five or better. Probably wouldn't bet on it. Eight and four and better. Wouldn't bet on it. Vegas certainly is not. Um, statistics, history, odds, the roster, the schedule for sure would, would, you know, suggest they won't be eight and four better, but here's my thing with MSU this year. Like we know we were bad last year, five and seven. We were really bad. Every time we lost the game, we lost by a thousand. We were really bad. We were getting dominated, not losing dominated by teams like Minnesota. Like when Ohio State dominates us, I go, yeah, par for the course. When that Michigan team dominates us, I go, yeah, well, to be expected. We're getting dominated at home by Minnesota. We were fucking bad. So what I'm about to say, you got to keep that in context. But here would be my one bastion of hope for MSU football. Like if you want to point at one reason why the overwin total will hit. I think it's four, five and a half. I think it's five and a half. If you want to point at one reason why we might surprise some people and win eight games or fucking more than that, nine, and beat a Washington or beat a Michigan or beat a Penn State. I can't even say beat Ohio State because it's been so long. But if you want one thing to point at, like one reason to feel good, obviously there's some moving parts. The quarterback situation, we got to figure it out. I don't think that's the tallest order to replace Peyton Thorne. I've said it a thousand times. I was saying it all throughout the year last year. 
he's fine. He's a game manager. If you give him a good team like we did in 2021, he'll do what it is necessary to win games. He's not a guy that when the run game's not working, you can put the game on his back and he'll go out and make it happen for you. He's not that guy. We saw it against Ohio State when K-9 went out, and we saw it fucking every single time we played last year. He's just not that guy. So I don't think we're uh, replacing Peyton Thorne. It's not like we got to replace Connor Cook. We're not asking him. We're, we don't need to replace an All-American. We don't even need to replace an All-Big Ten guy. We need to replace, like, a decent quarterback, maybe an average to above-average college quarterback. Above-average, I would say, is we're maxing them out, right? Noah Kim, Caden Hauser, we'll see. Obviously, Noah Kim, everybody points to those, like, five throws he made against teams' third stringers last season. <laughs> if he plays like that against starters, Noah Kim's going to be the fucking man. If he's making those throws against Michigan's first defense, Noah Kim's going to have a hell of a career at Michigan State. If that third string play pans out to the first string and in the first quarter, yeah, we're going to be fucking all right at the quarterback position. Obviously, we don't know if it will. We'll see. I think he has the tools. I think he is capable. Caden Hauser as well. I'm a little surprised that Kim's ahead of him on the depth chart. Maybe there's some seniority playing there. Maybe Kim's just the better player. I don't know. I feel like Caden Hauser, though, watching his tape from high school and like the release, the way just the way he throws the ball, he's athletic too. I'm like, this guy's really not as good as Noah Kim. Either I'm underestimating the fuck out of Noah Kim or Caden's not living up to what we had all hoped he would be. I hope I'm I hope the former is the right answer, not the latter. But we'll see about the quarterback position. I'm not so worried about that. That's something that everybody wants to point to. MSU, you think you're going to be better than five and seven? You lost your quarterback. All right, that's fucking, we lost the bowl of oatmeal. Dude, we might have a bowl of oatmeal with a couple sliced strawberries in it now. That'd be an upgrade. I'll take that all day. So we'll see. The reason I have a shred of hope, I have a shred of confidence. The reason I'm assuming we're going to beat Central, we're going to beat Richmond, we fucking better. And we're going to go into Washington week three, sitting at 2-0, and hosting a top 10 team with a Heisman contending quarterback who's trying to make a playoff appearance. Mel Tucker, other than the Michigan game in 21, Mel Tucker's biggest game we've ever played at Spartan Stadium. Definitely the biggest out-of-conference game he's ever played. The reason going into that, I'd have a little bit of hope and go, I don't know, maybe we can make something happen. I don't know, maybe we shock the world. Maybe we somehow find a way to win that game 3-0, and we feel good. We just knocked off one of the best teams in the country. Maybe we're not a 5-7 and team. Confidence comes along, and we go on to win eight games or something. The reason I would hold out some hope, and again, I'm not saying, like, don't run to the fucking sports book and throw the house on it. I'm not saying you should run around telling all your Michigan friends that we're about to win nine games. The line of scrimmage, that's why I feel okay about MSU this year. That's why I feel hopeful. That's why I feel like there will at least be, regardless of what the record says, there will at least be, and I think the record will improve, there will at least be visible, like tangible performance. I don't think when we do lose outside of maybe Ohio State, I don't think we will lose games 34 to nothing. Um, even that Michigan game, I don't think we'll lose games where the other team runs it for five yards every single fucking play, even though everyone in the stadium knows they're giving it to number two or number seven. I don't think a guy like Mike Penix has as much of a walk in the park as he did at Husky Stadium last year. 
the line of scrimmage. And it's not just the defensive line, the offensive line too, both of them. You look at why we sucked last year. Couldn't run the ball for anything. For anything, we couldn't run the ball. Peyton Thorne, credit to him, I suppose. Um, And again, it's not like he was bad or anything. His job was made way harder when not only could we not run the ball, when we did have to sit back and pass and we did try to go, all right, Peyton, let's fucking see it, pal. You want to play in the SEC? Here's your Big Ten tryout. Tough to do when your offensive line doesn't block anyone. It's tough to do when you're getting pressured against a four-man front. That offensive line, A, I think the starting talent should be better. We've got guys returning, and you could say, these guys were on the team last year. They sucked ass. Why would them returning suddenly they magically become better? Fair enough. I agree. Um, you'd like to think they become stronger, hopefully a little more well-coached, know what's going on, miss fewer assignments. You'd like to think all of that happens. But I think the biggest thing is, A, outside of the returners, there's going to be more high-end talent. A couple, I think, of Mel Tucker's guys will work their way into the rotation. Like, I wouldn't be surprised that four-star Stan Rammel. I think he was a top 200 guy, behemoth of a human from Alabama, one of the better offensive line prospects in the country in last year's recruiting class. Now he's a true freshman. He'll probably be a little weak, a little undersized, a little slow. But who knows? Like Guys like that, I think, might start to creep their way into the rotation. There's going to be more competition from the back. Like If the starter, I don't give a fuck if he's a junior, senior, fifth-year, 12th-year senior, if he's not cutting it, there's a guy, Mel Tucker, hand-picked waiting behind him, pushing him, trying to take his snaps. I think that the the level of competitiveness will elevate whoever startings play. Um, and I think the biggest thing is the depth going hand in hand with just the fact like there will be more talent. There just will be more guys. Now, hopefully they don't get absolutely decimated by injury, which is kind of what happened last year. But even if they do, there are more guys who are able to hold their own. The starting left tackle goes out this year. The next man up will be a better player than the next man up was last year all across the line. If we're down to our third string center, he will be a better player than our third string center was last year. I think that's true. Every position across the board. I think the overall talent level is better. We brought in that transfer Keyshawn Blackstock. I think he was the biggest uh, Juco transfer recruit. I just don't see a world now. Are they going to be Michigan's offensive line? No. Are they going to be Penn State's or Ohio State's even? Probably not. I don't see a world in which they aren't significantly better than what Michigan State put out last year. That should directly lead to a better run game. That should, both the run game and just the ability to protect the pass, that should lead to a more effective passing game, regardless of if it's Peyton Thorne, Noah Kim, or Caden Hauser. That should lead to Jay Johnson being more effective. I mean, look, K-9 was fucking unbelievable. When we had a running game with Kenneth Walker, Peyton Thorne, Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, Jay Johnson, all these guys couldn't be stopped. Jay Johnson was a genius. When we had the run game, when you could just turn it or turn around and give it off for five yards at a moment's notice, when that worked, when the play action became scary for defenses, Jay Johnson was a hell of a lot better at his job. I, I think the offensive line, I don't see a world in which the offensive line isn't considerably better, especially in, in the department of depth. People get hurt. The next man up will be closer to that starting level. And when your offensive line is good, when your offensive line is at a higher level of play, 
it's it's impossible. It's impossible for the rest of the offense to not get better. It's impossible. If you've got a better run game, I don't give a fuck who runs the football for you. Unless it's Kenneth Walker, it doesn't really matter. Unless it's a top three, top five guy in the country, it probably matters a lot more whether or not your offensive line moves guys rather than how many guys your tailback can make miss. If the offensive line's better, the run game should be better. If the run game's better, the play action's better. If the play action's better, the quarterback play will be better. If the offensive line pass protection's better, the quarterback play will be better. The wide receivers will look better. Everything stems from the line of scrimmage. Football's a simple game in that. If you don't win at the line, it doesn't matter. Look at Ohio State and Michigan the last two years. I've said it after, before and after both of those games. Ohio State's got the nastiest wideouts in the country. C.J. Stroud was just a top 10 pick. How are they losing those games? It's because they get fucking abused at the line of scrimmage. Ohio State, top three class, top three class, top three class. Brought in this Jim Knowles or whatever the defensive coordinator is. How do they give up 45 to Michigan? MSU held those guys to 29 because they got abused at the line of scrimmage. If you lose the line of scrimmage, it's fucking tough to win games. Look at Minnesota, bro. Look at that game last year. We didn't lose that game because Minnesota has this many great athletes. We didn't lose that game because P.J. Flex a genius and Mel Tucker's an idiot. We lost that game because they fucking beat our ass at the line on both sides of the ball, plain and simple. The offensive line's going to be better. I don't know if it'll be good. I don't know if it'll be even Penn State level. I don't know where they'll stack up as far as the Big Ten's concerned, but I do know they will be better than what MSU put out last year. And if that's the case, it's going to be very, very difficult for that offense to not take a step forward. I don't think they're going to be great. I don't think they'll be Michigan or Ohio State's or Penn State's O-line. But I do think they'll be close to the Penn State tier. I do think they'll kind of brush up against it. I do think they'll at least have a chance to be that. And if that is the case, Noah Kim's life becomes easier. These new wideouts, Antonio Gates, Tyrell Henry, Jerron Glover, whoever we need to step up and fill in for guys like Keon Coleman, their lives become easier. The O-line's good. It's tough to be bad at offense. And the same shit for the defensive line. Now, here's the difference about the defense. Forget just getting better. Forget improving on what MSU put out last year. I think MSU's defensive line should just flat out be good. I think MSU's front seven should just flat out be good. Um, Michigan, you know, they probably got the best in the conference. Ohio State, I get, you know, we'll see. They, you know, probably second best. Penn State, probably third best. I think Michigan State should, no excuses, be that fourth team, if not better. I think Michigan State's front seven this year, regardless of the, the, the Big Ten rankings, regardless of improving, should flat out just be good at worst. You look at all of the talent Mel Tucker has brought in at the defensive line, and again, A lot of these guys are freshmen. A lot of these guys are sophomores. Maybe they're not quite there yet in the strength department or the athleticism or whatever, but they are still there. They're going to push whoever is starting to be better. They're going to give better looks in practice. They're going to be a higher level of competition if the starting defensive end goes out. Guy like Chris Bogle is coming back, who was a monster for the first couple games before he went out. Um, Transfers, four-star Ken Talley from Penn State. Bringing in the, the, I can't remember his name, the tackle from Florida State, Toon Meese Adelaide, 
top like 50 or 60 player in the country from AM. We brought in guys in the transfer portal that should day one be good. Should day one form a good defensive line. And then you look at the talent behind them. Those are guys who it's like, hey, maybe like they could push to start on some of these Big Ten teams. And if someone gets hurt, someone goes out, the next man up, they should be quality too. I think for too deep at the front four, they should be a good unit. Regardless of improvement, they should be good. And the linebacker position, same thing. Cal Halliday, he had his moments in pass coverage. You know, hopefully that gets figured out. Jacoby Winman, I don't think it's biased to say is one of the better linebackers in the conference. Darius Snow missed the entire season last year. If he's back and he is what he was in 2021, I also don't think it's crazy to say he's one of the better linebackers in the conference. And same thing, you look at the depth. A guy like Jordan Hall, yeah, he's a true freshman. That's a guy who might just play day one. Magayatote, can't say his name, four-star, poached him from USC. That's another guy. If he's got to play, he should be able to hold his own. The front seven for State should be a just flat-out good. And I know what everyone would say. I know what the naysayers are saying. Oh, that's not the problem. The problem, your defensive backs, your secondary stinks. Everybody throws on MSU. Look. Much like what I was saying about the offensive line for an offense, if your defensive line, forget the linebackers, if your defensive line is good, if not great, that means that they can do a pretty good job stopping the run rushing four. That means they do a pretty good job getting to the quarterback rushing four. Look at Michigan State's best defenses under D'Antonio. Look at the college football playoff team. Look at the 2013 team. Yeah, those defenses had studs. Yeah, Darquez Denard. Yeah, Trey Waynes. The 2015 team, we didn't have either of those guys. Yeah, Monte Nicholson, he was good on the back end. The reason those defenses were elite is because you had four guys up front who could do whatever the fuck they wanted. We went into the horseshoe at Ohio State, and Shalik Calhoun, Malik McDowell, Craig Evans, and Lawrence Thomas dominated the line of scrimmage against one of the best Ohio State teams they've ever had. We beat Michigan all those years because our front four, we could drop seven and we'd still get to the quarterback in a hurry. If you've got guys up front who negate the run and get to the quarterback with four, you could put a fucking mop bucket at cornerback. They'll have a chance to knock down a few passes. I know the secondary has been garbage. I got to believe. I got to believe they, they'll improve. I've got to believe some of these young guys – Dylan Tatum, Janet Mangum, they'll be playing any of the returners, Angelo Gross. Um, I got to believe they got better. I have to believe, like, what am I doing here? What are we, any of us doing if I don't believe these guys got stronger, faster, smarter in the offseason? They have a better idea of what's going on. They know the defense more inside and out. They can run maybe a little bit closer with a Cornelius Johnson or a Marvin Harrison, although he's tough to stop for anybody. I got to believe these guys returning got better, and it's the same deal. Mel brought in more transfers. Mel has brought in pretty good talent. Charles Brantley, another returner. He's brought in pretty good talent via the high school ranks. Again, there'll be guys who are freshmen, who are sophomores. Tatum and Mangum, they played as freshmen last year. He's not afraid to play. If you're the best player, you will play. I got to believe, regardless of the front four, front seven, those guys just have to get better. I, ha- I, I have to believe that. But even if they haven't, I believe that the front four specifically is going to be good enough where 
even if the secondary plays the exact same, the job will become so much easier due to the play of the front four that they'll be middle of the pack. I have to believe that. If you got a good defensive line, dude, and you got good linebackers, that probably means you stop the run. We saw it with Michigan State. I just said it. If you're an offense and you can't run the ball, it's way fucking harder to throw it. And when you do throw it, if the other team can rush four and get to your quarterback, that shit is tough. That's what I'm saying. Washington, if we can stifle the run game, they ran it as much as they wanted in Seattle last year. We can stifle the run game, and then when Mike Penix does drop back to pass, we can get to him with four on the deeper routes. Dropping seven, dude, it's tough to hit those three-yard outs when there's seven guys dropping. It's tough to hit passes when everybody in the secondary knows. He's probably got like three seconds, and then Tudemy's Adelaide is going to take his fucking head off. It's tough to be bad when you dominate the line. If you got a good defensive line, it's tough to have a bad defense. I'm not saying they're going to be the best in the Big Ten. I'm not saying they're going to be top 30, top 40. What I am saying is no excuses anymore for the staff, starting with Scotty Hazleton and all the way up to Mel Tucker. There is no excuse for the staff this year on the defensive side of the ball for MSU. I don't think the O-line is going to be to the level the defensive line is. Oh, my watch. I don't think the O-line is going to be up to the level the defensive line is. But that defensive line and that linebacking core, I think, is going to be good enough where it's like, dude, if you can't figure out a defense now, I know you don't have Trey Waynes and Darquez Denard back in the secondary, but if you can't coach up, some of these guys are four-star guys. Some of these guys had offers from Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. Some of these guys could have gone anywhere. If you can't coach those dudes up, if you can't stop the pass with them after, what, three years? four years of high school cycles and transfer portal cycles, if you can't find guys to do the job in the back end when you've got a good front seven and a good defensive line, then maybe you can't coach defense. This defense this year, it has to be middle of the pack at worst. Otherwise, it's Scotty. Hey, the bell is ringing. That's where I'm at with State. We'll see, but uh, I don't know. I've been talking about it lately. We're starting to get a little closer, a little bit more chatter, and I'm getting a little tickled. Thinking about the idea, maybe this defense isn't so bad. We'll see. All right, folks, that's all I got. I appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, today, Wednesday, the Detroit Teal design, one of the best sellers we ever did. Certainly the biggest one for the Pistons. It's the one with the buildings in the back, Kate and Ivy. It's a beauty. Last day it'll ever be on sale today, Wednesday, July 19th. Head over to thesecondstring.com. And then this weekend we're putting out the Alex DeBrinket design, also a heater. Check that out Friday to Sunday. Um, as always, I appreciate the support. Thanks for everybody. Catch you next time.